Has it occurred to you that the systems we live by are not designed to get results? We pay for procedures instead of outcomes, focusing on emergencies rather than preventing disease and living a healthy lifestyle. For over 25 years, I've taken care of Olympians, Paralympians, A-list actors, and Fortune 1000 companies. If I did not get results, they did not get results. I realized that while powerful people who control the system want to keep the status quo, if I were to educate the masses, you would demand change. So I'm taking the gloves off and going after the systems as they are. Join me on my mission to create a new tomorrow as I chat with industry experts, elite athletes, thought leaders, and government officials about how we activate our vision for a better world. We may agree and we may disagree, but I'm not backing down. I'm Ari Gronich, and this is Create a New Tomorrow Podcast. This is Ari Gronich, and we are back again with Create a New Tomorrow podcast. And here we have with us as a guest today is Kadivas Robinson, one of the top track athletes on the planet ever, now one of the top coaches. And uh, Kadivas, you know, you and I have known each other quite a long time, I think 2007-ish, 2000. Eight, uh, somewhere around there is when we met. Tell me, tell us a, a little bit about yourself and how come we get along so good, you know? <laughs> but tell us a little bit about your, your history. Yeah, just essentially from, from, from Texas, uh, played football, ran track, cross country, the whole nine, you know, and, and, and end up going to TCU and running track there and did some things that I'm somewhat proud of, I guess you would say. And Ended up winning an NCAA championship and was blessed to be able to, to run professionally and move out to California. That's where, that's where you and I met out in, uh, and out in California when I was living in San, uh, Santa Monica. You know, ran for a good, good spell, probably longer than I anticipated. It went well and, um, you know, ended up retiring in 2012 right after the Olympic Games and uh, started coaching. Coached originally at UNLV. I did some high school coaching, some open coaching professionals, but started on the collegiate coaching at UNLV. Then I went to Ohio State for one year, left and went to LSU for four, and now I'm back at Ohio State. This is going on my fourth year, and it's been going. It's been a good journey, man. Been been writing, got a book out when seconds count. Started another nonprofit. I had a nonprofit in Santa Monica, uh, Youth Track and Running Club, and now I just started another one called the Reading and Running Initiative. Speaking and training and the whole nine, and just trying to use the tools and the gifts that God God blessed me with. Absolutely. So. Let's see, you know, when, when you and I met, you had been to one Olympics, and but you were in the top 10 for over a decade. Tell us a little bit about your mindset and what made that uh, possible for somebody like you. Like, you know, I, I ask this of, of all elite people in general, like, how dare you? No, uh, how, how do you become you? Why is it that you were able to create yourself into this elite form of a human being? I think every individual have a, have a skill set and a talent. So the first thing is recognizing you have a skill set and talent no matter what it's in. It can be singing, it can be education, it can be sports, it can be whatever. So recognizing what that is. Then secondly, once you recognize what it is, make a decision, a choice, make a decision to say, okay, I'm gonna use my talent and my gift, right? And develop it, multiply it, and then share it. So I think what makes certain individuals what I would call massively successful, because success is relative, right? I mean, we can look at someone that's making 
$100,000 so they're pretty successful, but they, what if they could be making a hundred million, right? They're still successful, but it's like, it's relative. So when I start saying massively successful, I mean someone that is really doing, um, tapping out at what their skill set is at or what their level's at. So what makes them that is their, is their mindset. I have a speaking series in which I go to certain organizations and, and groups, and it's called Developing the Champion's Mindset or Developing the Winner's Mindset. And what that means is, you know, we all have a skill set. You know, we all have a, what I call an inner Olympian in us in, in different fields. But what makes the difference between the ones who are able to chase that and accomplish those and ones who are not is the mindset that they have in their head. One person might look at a certain situation and come up with something negative, whereas another person come up with something positive. Now, again, those are relative. So what I mean by that is right now during this pandemic, there might be people saying, man, you know, I can't, you know, I can't run because, you know, you can't be in groups and you can't train. There's no races going on and my season was cut short. Then on the other end, you got people breaking world records. Now, why, why such two extremes? You got one person that's cut their season short, not racing, not running. You got another person that's breaking the world record because of the mindset. One person saw it as something that, that, that affected them. And the other person said, you know what, I'm going to keep doing what I do you know, God or the universe or whatever put me here to do certain things in a certain way. And I'm gonna just keep pushing forward. So to me, I think that's what is set. That's what sets certain individuals apart. It sounds like what you're saying to me, and I'm just going to translate into my language is one sees an obstacle as a complete and total barrier. And the other sees the obstacle, the same challenge, the same obstacle as something to hurdle over. Yeah. And that's it, as simple as it can get. Yeah, that's it. Um, maybe the other person, maybe the person sees it as uh, a dare, right? You know, like when we was kids, somebody said, I dare you, I double dare you. are like, okay, I'm going to show you, you know, and most of us had that when we was kids. You know, we did it with our friends. We did it with our brothers and sisters. You know, I'm going to beat you here or I can do badness. I can make better, great, whatever it may be. And somewhere along the line, a lot of us stopped having that spark, you know, maybe because we, 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 we had some resistance, maybe we failed. Maybe we lost confidence in ourselves, but the point I'm trying to make is, yeah, others, some people see that hurdle and they go, man, that's pretty high. I don't know if I can jump that. Well, the one that goes for it, he, he, he or she might still have that same doubt a fear, but they don't let it paralyze them, right? It's like the deer that sees the headlights and it's one of them like, okay, I'm going to get hit, right? And there's, there's nothing I can do about this. So, and they freeze and there's another say, I'm going to get hit, but I'm going to try to get away, right? You know, it's like, they both see in the same headlights. They both have the same fear, but one takes action, the other one don't. So, yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. And this is with everything in life. And, it, and, it, and it's such a cliche because people hear the same thing over and over again. They think, oh, yeah, but you didn't go through this. Or, yeah, you didn't go through that. But I'm telling you, it's the truth. Yeah, so, you know, based on that, you know, I, I was talking to – Dominic uh, earlier and we were talking about some of his challenges you know you know Dominic he he and you competed in the same track Olympics I believe or around the same environment but you know the the environment can either make you or it can break you right so you can either take the environment and the the situations and the things that would otherwise cause you to paralyze yourself or and you can do something with it or you can stop it. So, you know, what to you, because you know, I like to talk to you about both athletes and business and life in general, right? So what about what you're saying can be translated from the track 
over to the office, over to the person in their home who's trying to live their life, right? What can, what can be translated from athlete's mindset to all of it, a life mindset? Yeah, all of it, all of it. You know, if you really, you know, I study success, I guess you would call it, right? And if, if, if you notice some, you start to notice that there's a huge amount of individuals from New York City that have been pretty successful. You, you, you start meeting people that's doing all, every walk of life, and they're from New York City, and, they, and, they, and they, they always make it a point to bring it up. And they're like, I'm from New York City, man. And I'm talking about white, black, Jewish, Asian, it don't matter the race, it don't matter religion, Christian, Muslim, it don't matter, and they'll say, hey, I'm from New York. And they're saying something. And what they're saying when they say they're from New York, they're saying, I'm from a certain environment. I'm from an environment that if you don't, if you're not tough and you don't find ways and you're not resourceful and you, and you don't develop a skill set, you don't develop a tough skin, you don't develop different ways, you're not going to make it. And they're saying, because I came from that environment, once I got outside that environment, it was easy, you know, and that's what it is. What happens is I think some of us that come from, I come from the, you know, I come from the slums, man. I come from the hood slums, you know, by no stretch of the imagination. I'm not bragging about it, not necessarily proud of it, but it's the reality. And just to be able to graduate from high school, just to be able to be living right now, you know, I had to develop certain skill sets and be, uh, you know, persevere different things and face different challenges. And those things help you further along in life, you know. And there are some individuals that didn't have that. They didn't come from that environment. You know, it's like, you know, I have a friend that's named Holland Romero. He's a, he's a Navy SEAL. He was in it for 20 some years. Great guy out of San Diego. And he talks about how his environment when he was a kid helped him a little bit when he became a Navy SEAL because when he was a kid, he was always in the water and swimming and all that. So when he was training at Buzz to become a Navy SEAL, that fear of the water wasn't already there because he was in an environment that somewhat prepared him a little bit for what was gonna come next. It's the same thing with us in life. Some people avoid those hard situations in life and some people get in the mess and they don't get the message from the mess. They don't get, they don't get their testimony from the test. And I think what happens is they wanna think, okay, I'm just good in academics or I'm just good in sports or I'm just a good dancer or whatever it is, not knowing that some of those uh, skill sets, some of those obstacles are transferable. That's a, uh, that's awesome. You know, I, I grew up in a way that was, I considered to be, I had, I had a dual world, right? I had the world of, of trauma and drugs and fights and all that kind of stuff. And then I had the world, you know, I had very loving parents, but my parents didn't really understand what was going on. They worked really hard to create and do what they wanted to create and do, you know, they were working so hard and, and didn't really necessarily get to see all of the world that I grew up in. And it was Santa Clarita Valley. So you could kind of understand this is by magic mountain it's supposed to be like a small town, you know, easy life. Right. But I wouldn't wish my life, so to speak on anybody else. And yet, I sometimes feel like that hardness translated into some of my softness, you know, because I was able to take and transmute what was happening to me and say, I want something better for other people 
And so I'm going to be that something better for other people. And it sounds like you took a lot of the traumas of life and used it to harden yourself a little bit more so that you can, could, could compete with yourself to get better and better. So tell me about that process in your mind of how you did that, because that's something I think the, the listeners would really get a benefit from. So think about this. I want people to get this, this concept. So a lot of individuals, a lot of us, we don't want the world to be, we don't want our world to be what it really is. In other words, when you're going through trauma, when you're going through hurt, when you're going through pain, your first reaction is to avoid that pain, avoid that hurt, avoid that trauma, right? And it's, and it's, and it's like, you don't want to face it. And you want to you wanna daydream, you want to sit back, you want to wish it was different. And one of the things we have to do in life is resist the temptation of always wishing it was different. You know, that don't mean you, you like it or want it, but that means instead of wasting time sitting there just hoping and wishing and looking at somebody else's life and saying it, this is your life, this is what it is, right? This is what it is. So we have to learn to use that to move forward. So I'll give you an example. You say the environment, I use it to harden myself. Well, here's the reality. And I'm an amateur on the Bible. But in the Bible, uh, Moses was talking to God and um, he was asked, he was talking to God about getting the, the chosen people out of Egypt and the Pharaoh wouldn't let him go. And so Moses talked to God, God said, tell him, let him go. Moses would go there and, uh, and, and ask the Pharaoh, Pharaoh said, no, Moses would come back. And God said, try this. And Moses would go and try this little trick. Pharaoh said, that's not a trick. I can do the same thing, do the same thing. Moses go, they did that back and forth. So finally Moses was like, okay, what am I need to do to tell this Pharaoh, you know, he needed to let us go and stop treating us like this and this and that. And God said, okay, just try this, do this. And they said, now listen, he's not going to listen because I've hardened his heart, right? But he at least tried and do it. So Moses goes and tries whatever, you know, the story. But here's what happens. People say, well, hold on, this doesn't make sense. Why would God tell Moses to go try it and have the Pharaoh let him go and harden his heart knowing he's not going to agree to it? That's not fair. Why would he say he's hardened his heart, but then no, he's not? Well, here's what happens. Whenever we're in an environment and then whenever we make a decision to do good or bad, once we do it once, it becomes easier to do it again. Once you give a homeless person $5 once, it's easy to keep giving them $5. But once you punch somebody once, it's easier to punch them twice or third time, right? So from our environment, we can naturally become hardened or we can become softened. Now, the way that direction goes is determined by if we're willing to face reality. If we become hardened and we face reality and understand we can use it for good, then yeah, we harden, but we don't go out and punch nobody else and be hardened through them. We understand that we're hardened for ourselves to for shelter away from pain, but not to, to cause pain. And if we're softened from some, we have to be smart enough uh, how to give that back and not to bring it in. So what I'm saying is that's what happens. It's like we all get influenced by an environment, but it's up to us to recognize how we was influenced and recognize how we're going to uh, share that with the rest of the world. That's awesome. So uh, share with me your favorite memory of being an athlete. Uh, you mean high school, middle school, college, pro, what? Yeah, you know, whatever, whichever you like, whatever your, your most promising favorite memory is. You told me about, uh, you told me about it last time we talked, so. I have, I have three. I don't know if I told you the one about when I was in Finland. 
or my college when I, when I was a senior, or you remember which one I told you? You, you told me both the Finland story and okay. the, uh, the one where you came in fourth. Oh yeah, well that's not a, yeah that, you know, it's ironic though. This is the story I tell people when I give speeches because it's the one that brought everything together. What I mean by that is, you know, I had been running, I had won a couple of national championships, made some Olympics and all this type of stuff. But when 2008 came about, I was in the best shape of my life, bar none. I was in, I was, everything was clicking. And I had just had a son. And so um, the season was going, things were going well. I went to the Prefontaine Classic and I was in great shape. And I really, really, really felt that I was going to run fast and win. Like I just, I knew it and I was ready. And I got in the race and I ran well. I ran one of the top five times of the world. I think I got, I can't remember second or third place, whatever it was, but whatever it was, I wasn't pleased with it. I was pissed, to say the least. And so I went back home to Santa Monica and I trained the next day. And I think about this, you just ran a 144 low, traveled, ran the race. I worked out after the race, did a workout right after the race. And I went back to Santa Monica and I trained the next day. Long story short, messed myself up. Go to the Olympic trials, uh, essentially ranked pretty high in the U.S. I think ranked number one or two in the U.S., ranked top whatever in the world. End up not making the team. End up getting fourth with a die in Eugene, Oregon, you know. So just everything that could go wrong went wrong, you know. But what happened was I remember my son was there, my wife was there. I remember coming up a track in total shock. Let's feel like I'm in some type of dream nightmare. Not able to even... Don't even have no time to absorb stuff, having to do interviews. And I remember my son just standing there like, dad, dad, because he didn't care. All he knew is, you know, I was with him. He was doing what daddy and, you know, son does. I left for a little while. He heard a lot of noise and I came back out. He's like, pick me up, dude. This is what you do, right? So he didn't care about whatever happened in the race. So I pick him up and then I go back to, you know, my wife and I, my, my wife's distraught crying. My coach is like, can't believe it. And I told Sportsilla, I told the reporter that interviewed me that if this was the worst thing that happened to me that year, then I'm a blessed man. So I went back to Santa Monica and I had went through that before. In 2000, in 2000, I got fourth, didn't make it. And I was in total shambles. 2004, I made it. So 2008, it wasn't my first rodeo of not making it. So I live in Santa Monica, go down to Venice Beach, which is from where I live, was not far at all. And you hardly ever go there. So I went down and I'm walking on Venice Beach. It's packed, it's the summer, it's packed. I have on regular clothes. I don't have on this USA, you know, Olympic stuff I have on now. I have on regular clothes. It's packed. I'm walking. And an African guy, who I know now is a close friend of mine, was like, oh, my goodness, KD, Kadibus Robinson, you know, you're my favorite runner. I don't know this guy from Adam. And I'm looking at this guy. He's selling incense. And I'm looking at this guy, and I'm thinking, like, who, who is this guy? What is he talking about? All these people, it's packed. And they're looking at me, and I'm like, he's like, don't retire. Keep running this net. So... I realized some. I realized that there are more people watching my races and my interviews because he says, I love your interviews. I love your post-race interviews when you talk about live and internet. And I was like, man, I never knew. I never knew my interviews. I never knew my racing inspired, motivated, and helped others. I never knew people would cheer me on. I never knew people would scream at the TV. I never knew people liked that I took a risk and went out in front and went for it. I never knew people would uh, use me as motivation. And so that race brought that up because what happened is because I didn't win, because I got fourth and didn't make the Olympic team, people saw me as human. They saw me as vulnerable. So all that next year, people kept coming up to me and say, man, you know, don't retire. Or, you know, hey, I like how you do this. And 
I like your energy and I, and I like how you always fight or whatever it is. And you always say this. And I was like, whoa, that's why I'm running. So that race actually became a race that made sense to me of why I was doing everything I was doing. You know, it, you know, it wasn't necessarily just for the money. It wasn't for the accolades, but it was because I'm able through my running, through competing, I'm able to touch other people's lives in which I would have probably would have been able to do, you know, in the other way. So to me, that ended up being, even though it was a, a, a heart race that I, that I felt, it was one that ended up really giving me a simple pur- sense of purpose. That's awesome. So uh, what are the biggest obstacles that you've had to face that you see, you know, as an industry, the athletes have to face? Well, for one, I, I you know, it's amazing because I tell athletes this all the time. They, I don't know if they just don't believe me. Don't wanna, when you're a professional track and field athlete, you are a professional for one, and you're a business. Two things. Really identify with being a professional. Professional, I'm not, that, that doesn't mean you're a professional just because you're better than the majority of the world and you get paid for it. That's, that's, that's part of it. What I mean is you're a professional, you know, there's going to be expectations. The, the way you speak, the way you dress, the way you interact with individuals and ready to interact with people, the way you hold your, uh, you know, when you have a contract, doing your part in the contract, all of those things uh, as a professional, you know, showing up on time, if you're going to races, you said you're going to run a race, run that race, signing autographs before, after, just being a professional. So to me, it's a challenge because a lot of, uh, a lot of us just want to run. You know, we want to just do what we're good at and what we like doing. We don't want to, you know, necessarily have to do the other stuff before the race, you know, go and do these interviews or whatever. Some of us like it, some don't, but that's the first thing. Same thing, you know, you, you, you know, you're a business and you're a brand. You are a brand of yourself, which means a lot of times you hear people getting frustrated and upset about saying what they feel like the sponsors didn't do for them. Listen, I'm pro athlete, meaning I'm always for the athlete's rights and needs. Always. I was an athlete. As I got older, I understood and I started to understand the game, the way the game truly works. It's a business. So if you run for whatever company, whatever, whatever the company is, they're in the business of selling or promoting their product. And you happen to be an avenue in which they can do that. Once you're not marketable, once you're not whatever that is, then they get someone else to sell that. It's not a personal thing. It's just a business thing. So you have to understand that. And you have to understand also that you have to market and promote you, your brand, because you want to think the company's supposed to do it, but what happens is if your contract's over in three years and you get another company that wants to pay you more than that company does, then you'll go to them, right? And if they promoted you, now all that goes to, to the other company. And, they, and, and companies understand that. So I try to, so one of the biggest frustrations was understanding how to be an entrepreneur, understanding how to be a, a per, you gotta do your own taxes. You know, you gotta, you, you know, you gotta set your schedule. You got to be cautious of what you put in your body, not just because it'll help you run fast because you don't want to get any drug tests, uh, negatives or whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's, just, it's a business. And, and if you do it right, you can leverage it for more than your running career is over. You can leverage it to something else. Track and field is one of the only sports, not the only, but one of the only sports where you can be one of the best in the freaking world. And uh, once you retire, once you finish, you got to work a, work a regular job. You know? If you're a world champion, Olympic champion, or if you didn't broke some record or whatever, you should be able to be in situations where you 
by able to leverage yourself and leverage that platform once you finish. But the work has to be done before you retire. I've tried telling so many people this, and I don't want none of them. I'm not trying to get nothing from them in return. I'm just trying to get them. I was lucky because when I got into the pros, Johnny Gray and Steve Lewis and Mike Marsh and all these individuals told me stuff. I knew it was important for me to have my degree. I knew it was important for me to go back and get my master's degree. I knew it was important for me to network. I knew it was important for me to do all these things, save my money. I didn't go out, you know, not to just buy all the expensive cars or look. I had individuals tell me, tell, that tell me stuff that prepared me for what was coming. And I listened, you know. But some people, it's like when I'm trying to give them information, they look at me like I'm, like I'm trying to get something out of it. And I'm like, okay. And so we, we, we find individuals complaining about the same stuff when they could, could have moved past it. Thank you so much for listening to part one of this interview. Stay tuned for the next episode when we resume this conversation right from where we left off. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate all you do to create a new tomorrow for yourself and those around you. If you'd like to take this information further and are interested in joining a community of like-minded people who are all passionate about activating their vision for a better world, go to the website, createanewtomorrow.com and find out how you can be part of making a bigger difference. I have a gift for you just for checking it out and look forward to seeing you take the leap and joining our private paid mastermind community. Until then, see you on the next episode.